This is The Camp with Zach Heilprin and the Athletics' Jesse Temple. Yes, welcome into The Camp. I'm Zach Heilprin. That's the Athletics' Jesse Temple. Well, Saturday did not go as planned. If you're a Wisconsin fan, Badgers losing 15-6 to to Iowa. Dropping to four and two overall, four, uh, two and one in Big Ten play, and allowing Iowa to, uh, I guess you would say, take control of the West. Obviously, they're three and one, so it's not like they have, don't have losses there. But uh, their schedule the rest of the way slightly easier than Wisconsin. So we'll see. Uh, Jesse, I, I think the game itself obviously was not great. I don't know how much we need to go into it, but obviously the biggest story coming out of it was the loss of Tanner Mordecai to a hand injury. We learned Monday morning, according to ESPN, that it is a broken hand for Tanner Mordecai. He is going to have, or he did have surgery on Sunday, had a pin placed in that hand and is out indefinitely. It means there's, and there's no timetable for his return. It means Braden Locke is going to be the starting quarterback going forward for Wisconsin. First, the Mordecai injury, how big of, how big of a hit to this is Wisconsin. Now, again, Saturday's game notwithstanding, because the offense, no matter who the quarterback was, wasn't exactly uh, chugging along. Oh, there's no other way to say it. It's a massive hit to Wisconsin and its offense, and I certainly know that the offense has not come anywhere close to meeting the preseason expectations, and Mordecai included, but he was, for the most part, uh, I mean, one of their best players, one of their best decision makers, and didn't put Wisconsin in consistently in a bad spot. The guy had 30 career starts. We saw what he did the last two years at SMU. And what it means is Braden Locke is the guy who before Saturday had thrown exactly one pass in a college game, which came earlier this season in late in a blowout. So you're losing that experience and you're losing certainly the mobility that Mordecai has. And now the trajectory of the season is completely different in my mind. What was the trajectory before Mordecai's injury? You know, this is hard because they sucked (laughs) offensively (laughs) against Iowa and they weren't very good when Mordecai was in there, right? They had, they had the first drive, which ended in the turnover on downs and they had four consecutive three and outs. And Mordecai was a part of that. I don't know if Wisconsin would have come back to beat Wisconsin in the second half. I was certainly there. There wasn't much evidence to evidence to suggest that was going to happen. Um, but now with this loss, it's it, certainly you don't say that Wisconsin is any better for the second half of the season. So what was the trajectory before? Assuming they had lost to Iowa, I guess it doesn't it doesn't change in terms of. The, I don't think they were going to win the Big Ten West um, based on what we saw. But I think offensively, they it's just to me feels so much different now because and I think Braden has a lot of potential, but again, has barely played at the college level. And now you're asking him to carry or or help to lead a Big Ten offense in the heart of a schedule. Yeah, and we saw in that game again, he was thrown into a very tough situation against a very good defense and the Iowa pass rush started to tee off there, especially when they knew Wisconsin was going to have to pass the ball down, you know, 
a score and needing to get to drive the length of the field. So those are all certainly play a role in the things that we saw from Braden Locke, but it wasn't overly good. I mean, he went 15 for 30 at 122 yards, an interception, uh, a fumble, also tackled in the end zone for a safety. I guess he had two fumbles, if you want to, if we're including that one, didn't lose that one because Riley Malman got on top of it. But the initial, and again, thrown into a very tough situation. So I'm not going to make a general, uh, a uh, future prognostication based uh, for Braden Lock based on what we saw in the second half. But it certainly does change what Wisconsin's offense could be at any point. I think it puts the offense, uh, and again, Braden Lock will be here next year and Tanner Mordecai won't. So at least I guess you're building for the future if Braden Lock is the future, which I'm, again, I'm, I'm not necessarily saying that he is the future. He's the, he's, he's the future for the next, what, month and a half of the season to finish things out because I don't think we're going to see Tanner Mordecai at least in the regular season. Well, again, not a doctor, but it, I don't know, feels unlikely when it's your, you know, once your throwing hand is the one that's broken. So we'll see how that plays out. But it, it certainly does make you feel a lot less confident going forward in what they could accomplish offensively and get the offense moving the way that they wanted to at the beginning of the year. So we'll see. What is your impressions, uh, early impressions of Braden Locke? What you saw both obviously in spring and what you saw in fall camp. And um, again, I'm not going to put too much, too much stock in what we saw on Saturday. Well, if we're not including what we saw, I said I'm not. Iowa. No, 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 no. I'm saying I'm not putting a ton of stock in there. Yeah. You have to. You have to at least acknowledge what happened. But I'm not going to sit there and say that that is exactly who he is because of the yeah. situation he got thrown into. From what we saw in practices and, and the conversations that we've had, I think it's we can say he is certainly one of the most intelligent quarterbacks and and maybe even players on the team in terms of knowledge and understanding of the playbook and what Phil Longo is asking of the quarterbacks. That is a big reason why Braden opened the spring as the number two and was never seriously threatened. I think he has a pretty good arm and accuracy. I know we talked in the spring and in the fall, there were times where it seemed like he had to put more into it to get the ball where it needed to go. So in terms of those aspects, those are good qualities, but it's really hard to replicate that experience. I mean, how many good quarterbacks do you see come in or, or highly touted quarterbacks? And it takes some time because when the bullets are flying, it's completely different from practice when you can't actually get hit. And it was a really difficult spot because not only are you playing a Big Ten game, you're playing a rival and you're playing one of the best defenses that Wisconsin is going to face this season. And on top of that, the way this system is set up or the, the way it went against Iowa, he ended up throwing the ball 30 times. And eight of those throws came on Wisconsin's last offensive series when the Badgers were trailing by two possessions. So I can understand why they had to do it there. But even if you take those out, he threw the ball 22 times before then when it was a one possession game. That's a really challenging spot. So I think there's reason for optimism in his long term future. But, ah, God, it's it's just going to be – it's a significant challenge here. And while you can – I think there's enough to beat a, a down Illinois team, even though Illinois just beat Maryland, which feels kind of inexplicable almost. You know, you've got Ohio State in a couple weeks, and it's uh, it's not going to be easy here the next six, six games. Yeah, I think the way that he succeeds is the way that they succeeded on those early drives in the second half, which is 
a lot of Braden, uh, excuse me, Braylon Allen. Yes. And being able to run the ball successfully, which again is what an offense needs to succeed. If you're going to try and run the system that Phil Longo is, you need to have success in the run game. And they had that to begin the second half. And then they just got bogged down once they got, you know, into Iowa territory. The, their first drive, Jesse, where they get down to like the 13 yard line, 14 yard yep. line, 13 yard line. That was as close as they got to the end zone all day after that. Like that's just, they didn't get any closer than that, but they had some opportunities there at the beginning of the second half where they felt like they had some momentum. They got to within seven, six, but they had some, you know, they obviously had some chances um, to do more and they, they couldn't get it done. But I, I think the running game obviously has to be such a, such a huge part of what they're going to accomplish here with Braden Locke as their, as their quarterback. Um, so I was sitting there Saturday night thinking about some of what has happened. And this may, this is probably a little bit more big picture as opposed to what happened on Saturday in the game itself. Um, but it certainly opened up some things in my mind and, and some questions that I have for Luke fickle. And I, I'm going, there, there are questions that'll get asked, but I wanted to ask you them as well. Um, this again, you can ask, you can answer them as Jesse Temple, or you can answer them as you think Luke Fickle might. But this is this is my uh, this would be the one of the questions asked. Obviously, expectations outside the program were significant for this year. You, Luke Fickle, not responsible for those, but did we all underestimate the challenge that you and your staff walked into? I'm not going to attempt to answer as Luke because I will let him do that at his Monday presser. So I'll give. I guess I'll sure. give my my perspective, and the answer is yes. Um, absolutely, we underestimated. I, I, I'll speak for myself. I underestimated what the challenge was going to be this year. It was easy to get, I guess, caught up, for lack of a better way to put it, in what this team was adding. And, okay, you bring in Phil Longo. It's a, yes, drastic departure from the previous offense, but, but Phil has had success. Everywhere he's been in terms of putting up points, moving the ball, yardage, look at the four years at North Carolina where they essentially ranked in the top five among power five schools in a lot of those major statistical categories. And I know he talked about the success he had immediately way back when at Sam Houston. And on top of that, you're bringing in what seemed to be really talented transfer players, guys who were going to be immediate impact players. Tanner Mordecai certainly felt at the time like one of the most significant off-season quarterback pickups around I know there were a lot but considering his credentials the last two years and the wide receivers they brought and also what we saw in practices and I think that's part of the that is tricky too when we're trying to report on what we see when they have a lot of success it's coming against their own guys so it 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 doesn't always mean it's going to translate when you play Iowa so all those things put together made it feel like, okay, this is something that can happen right away. They're obviously planning for that to happen right away. They went and got a six-year quarterback who's only here for six months. But I think the challenge that, and a lot of this to me comes down to offensively. I mean, I know the defense is basically above average and not elite level, but a lot of why we were talking so much about expectations was because what we thought the offense could be. Um, I think they are struggling and you can, Tell me what your thoughts are on this too. It feels to me like Wisconsin right now offensively is caught in two different worlds. And I, I wrote about this a bit here in the last few days where they're trying to figure out what, what is it that they want to be? And I mean, I asked Luke after the game, whether he feels like they don't, they're struggling to find the identity. And what he said was, 
I don't think they're trying to find what their identity needs to be. I think we're trying to find how it fits with the people we have as much as anything. I think that really sums it up. Like they've got guys who are part of a system before and maybe end up being better suited for that system. And they're trying to, to meld these two worlds. So that's my long-winded answer saying, I think absolutely we, I underestimated how difficult it would be to do this right away off a team that went six and six in the regular season last year. And certainly looks like it's going to take a, a few years for fickle to get everybody that he wants. And uh, maybe that's excuse making. Uh, and I think he would probably say that is too, because they came in expecting to win right away, but it's harder than what we thought it was going to be. You know, be a good person to talk about this with Phil Longo. Like, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I, I, and this would actually be a, a great week to do it because he's going to be breaking in a new quarterback. He's going to be, I mean, there, there are questions that I, uh, that I think are worthwhile asking to him. And, and a lot of what you brought up are things that he would be able to give a little bit of insight into more so than Luke fickle. Luke fickle is a head coach. He is a defensive head coach. He is, he has answered every single question that has been asked of him. And it's again, um, I, I feel like have a little bit better insight, even though again, he's answered every question a little bit better insight. If it was the offensive coordinator, who's calling these plays, who's installing this offense and, and putting everything out there. Um, it, it, let ahead. me just piggyback on that one thing for fans who are listening. And I've gotten some questions about this. Um, if you are listening to our show, you are deep in the woods here on Badgers football. Uh, so we don't have an opportunity to talk to assistant coaches this year. That is a change from what we've had in previous seasons way back when, when I first started on the beat a decade ago, you could request any assistant you wanted, whether if it was an offensive day, you could get offensive assistance or defensive day you could get defensive assistance. And eventually it transitioned into once a week, we would get the offensive coordinator and the defensive coordinator. So like last season on Tuesdays, I think it was, we'd get Jim Leonard and well, before he was the interim coach and, and Bobby Ingram. And this year under fickle, we do not get any assistance. Um, so we're, we haven't been able to talk to Phil Longo since August and that certainly makes it challenging when when fans want answers, and maybe that will change in the future. I've requested this week to see whether Phil might be available. That is to be determined at this point, but that is why we don't have answers from Longo for those who may be curious. Yeah. Uh, another question here. Uh, Fickle said, if we're the same in week one as we are in week eight, week eight then it's going to be awfully difficult to be successful this season. Where do you think you're better now than when you said that? Hmm. That's a great question. And I don't think they're better offensively. Uh, I think what we saw on Iowa's proof of that against Iowa's proof of that. Maybe defensively they're making some strides. Um <clears throat> and I might I might be inclined to say they have made strides defensively. What when we're looking at Iowa, what they did was they gave up one big play, and it was a terrible play to give up the 82-yard touchdown run to, to Sean Williams. Other than that. They, they did a really good job. I think they did a very good job against Rutgers. But I would say the strides, whatever strides they have made defensively, uh, do not offset the lack of strides they, they're they at, they're with offensively, if that makes sense. So I think that's a great question and uh, certainly would be interested to hear the answer from the head coach. Yeah, it's, again, it's a tough one. It, it is it is tough. He said it. Uh, I think a lot of it was coming off that week one performance where there was certain things that, didn't necessarily go the way you were hoping to uh, if you're Luke fickle and, and his staff, right? Like there were a lot of things in that Buffalo game that you're like, all right, well we have time to get better at. It. I don't necessarily know 
if they've improved in a lot of those aspects. Now, again, before this week, before this week, turnovers had not really been, well, I shouldn't say that. They had two turnovers against Rutgers. Uh, but those obviously were a huge issue in, in week one. And then for a few weeks there, gosh, actually, it wasn't Washington State to turn the ball over a couple times. And uh, Georgia Southern and Purdue did a, did a relatively good job of holding out of the ball. And then it's, it's kind of regressed, obviously, what happened in the second half against Iowa. Um, you know, there were uh, penalties have obviously increased since week one, uh, where they didn't really have anything pre or post snap. They had a lot of stuff inside, you know, inside within the whistle. Um, that has been uh, a big issue, both uh, really just more so on offense than anywhere. Special teams ha- has had some miscues. I didn't think they were outside of uh, Nathaniel Blanco's. Eh, I thought maybe Bertram's had a nice day as well. Outside of that, they, like they haven't necessarily improved there either. So there are areas that needed to improve after week one. And I don't necessarily know that we've seen a ton of growth there, but he may have a better answer, certainly. Um, and because uh, he's there every day and he sees it every day and, and maybe he has been able to view some things that have gone better for them. Um, and then the, the, this one, I think, is a, a little bit. It's, it's probably a tough one for you to answer, but uh, a couple weeks back, if you remember, Luke Fickle was talking about needing every practice, every rep, every opportunity with the system still so new. It's why they were practicing, you know, on Wednesdays and Thursdays and Fridays, and then the bye week they they practiced in pads. Um, is there a balance needed to avoid overworking the guys while also establishing your standards? My assumption, and if I were Luke, I the answer would have to be yes. And I'm sure this is a feeling out process too, because like he talked about at that press conference, by the end of his tenure at Cincinnati, they had reached a point where they didn't, they didn't have to do as much as what Wisconsin is doing. Cause everybody understood the expectations and, and how to play. And this is still part of a learning process, but I have to imagine that there is a bit of a balance that you don't want to wear out these guys, but yet you also want to make sure that they are the best that they can be. What's interesting to me is after the Iowa game, what, Luke said was he felt as though they had a great week of practice, one of their best weeks of practices. So that almost makes it more surprising that they came out and were as flat as they were. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. But I, I just think that, you know, them trying to get things up to speed as quickly as possible. Maybe the, that there is some wearing down of guys. Maybe they're wearing down um, physically and, you know, at times when you play a game like you did against Iowa, maybe mentally as well, plays a role. And the season's only half over. You have six more regular season games to go. There's there's a, a still a, a huge mountain to climb, a huge hill to climb. And if you're, you know, working your guys as, as tough as it sounds like they're working them, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or even, you know, I should say uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, like it's, it's tough. And I know, in talking to guys from last year, they did kind of get worn down last year. And again, we'll see. We'll see. It's, I guess it's something that uh, will have to play out. Um, all right, let's get into some of these Twitter questions that I got, Jesse, as you imagine, there were some people not overly pleased. We'll start with our guy, Vitaly Pasetsky says, is this group of players capable of winning close games? Coach Alvarez preached don't flinch ever since that home loss to Penn state, they have done nothing but flinch in these type of games. Do we do we just stay patient until Fick installs confidence in his recruits or instills mm-hmm. confidence in his recruits? Is this group capable of winning close games? I think that it is. That was the entire offseason focus, which is something I know you and I have discussed. 
about one of the first things Fickle told the team was that they went one and four in games decided in the fourth quarter last season. Everything they did in the offseason was built toward changing that. I think that I think they have the ability to win those close games. Every every game to me is its own sort of independent chapter. And this was just such a disastrous offensive performance that I mean, I I, I don't know if it would have mattered, um, but. I think the answer is yes. I also think, again, it's going to take a little bit here for Fickle to get what he needs to have this team be more consistently successful. Don't you have to prove that you can win close games first before we just assume that you can? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I mean Washington State was a they had an, they had the ball with a chance to score and take yep. the lead in the fourth quarter. Iowa they had the ball, chance to score, take the lead, did not do it either times. Um, the defense, I mean, I'm not going to not blame the defense. They, the defense gave them plenty of opportunities against Washington state also gave them plenty of opportunities against Iowa. So this to me, it's an, Iowa, it's an offensive thing and being able to finish and mm-hmm. they, they were not able to do that. Yeah, I would agree. And especially it's, it's against the good teams. I mean, it'd be, they were in close games in the second half against teams. They should have been blowing out, right? The Buffalo in the first game, Georgia Southern, and they, we're able to put some things together in the second half. But when you're a Wisconsin fan or you come to Wisconsin, you're not looking at the ability to finish those types of games. It is the Washington States and the Iowa. So, so I don't know. I mean, you, you are what you are, what the record says you are and, and, and what you show on film. And, and I guess that is part of the equation here. You've got to go out and, and prove it in some of these big games. Yeah. Uh, Jeff says rank the offensive position groups compared to the Christ era. Is this so, the worst? Is this the worst running back room since 2015 and the worst offensive line of the era? <laughs> well, that's tough because with Chez is healthy, it's a different conversation. <laughs> I mean, right. That's not, that's not Fickle's but that, fault. But that might, well, I mean, the, the perceived lack of depth in the room yeah. Yeah. can, can be associated with him. But again, I don't know exactly what you would want him to do about that because who, what transfer running back is want to get to come in and sit behind exactly Braylon Allen and Ches Malusi. So essentially yeah. you're, you're having to re- rely on your running backs uh, that were already here and part of your high school class. And it's why they have how many running backs coming in, in the 2024 class. Quite a as few it, as it stands three. three, three. So, I mean, they obviously understand that there is a significant issue there. Depth wise, depth wise. I have no, you know, Jackson acre had his day against, uh, Rutgers, but there's yeah. there's obviously a huge depth issue there. 2015, Corey Clement got hurt. It was essentially Taiwan Deal and Dario Gumbawale, I believe, were mm-hmm, the, the, mm-hmm. the 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 two there. So and that 2015 offensive line, if you want to talk about worst offensive line of the era, that was it. I mean that that group, what what Paul Christ and Joe Rudolph inherited from the previous staff was. Walker Williams starting at uh, one of the guard spots. Uh, you know, what what was it? Uh, Hayden Beagle was it? Hayden? Be- no, what was his name? Uh, was it Hayden? It's well, irrelevant. But it the, worked. The, it's a, they had four the right tackles. No, but that, that was the year they had. Yeah, that by the end of the year, yes, they were starting four redshirt freshmen against yeah. uh, against Minnesota, and then Tyler Merritt's was your left tackle. But for most of the season, it was a bunch of guys that 
should not have been on the field. And obviously they, they lost, they lost Dan Volts in the middle of that year. Like there were, that offensive line was worse than this one by far. It's why Joel Stabby was throwing 50 passes a game. Now, again, I know Wisconsin ended up throwing how many <laughs> 50 something passes on Saturday, but that offensive line was significantly worse than this one, in my opinion. Yeah. During this era, uh, I would certainly take 2017, 18, 19 running backs because you had a healthy Jonathan Taylor and he's one of the best running backs in the history of college football from a production standpoint. But 2015 to me has got to be the worst. Uh, you, you nailed it. That was that was a year where Dario Bawale led the team in rushing at 819 yards. They, they didn't have a thousand yard rusher. And 2016, Corey Clement was healthy enough to be a thousand plus yard rusher. But it's a tough spot for Wisconsin. And it's interesting to me because Braylon... Allen in a vacuum, I think, as you look at his career, he surpassed 3,000 yards rushing at Wisconsin, and that's great. And yet the types of running backs that he measures himself against are all-time greats. And so it's it's hard to be in that pantheon when over the last decade you've seen who the running backs have been here. And I think that's part of the challenge here too is – trying to compare what Braylon has done to some of these other guys. And now without, without Chez, you've got a significant drop-off. I like what Aker did against Rutgers, but he only carried three times and had 10 yards rushing against Iowa. So now what it feels like is you're putting all of this or a lot of this on Braylon, who's been injured his entire career and got hurt, with, by the way, on Saturday against Iowa and wouldn't talk about it after the game. What did he say? The trainers are doing what they needed to do? Yeah, he said he wasn't hurt. And then he said, but, you know, like you didn't play or what what happened. And yeah, that's exactly what he said. The trainers were just doing their job. And obviously what we saw him coming off the field, he was holding his head as he was coming off the field and sat down, was looked at on the trainers, you know, on the sideline. Not going to make any guesses on what that was, but. Could have gotten poked in the eye. I mean, I know he had a visor, so. You, you can, you can, uh, you can make your own adjust. You can make your own. You can think of this how you, however you want to. You can make your own judgments on on what exactly was hurt with Braylon Allen. I'm not going to do that, but it it feels pretty clear. Uh, Nate says year two is typically the year coaches make the big leap. I guess that all, also goes for players. What do we need to see for the rest of the year to feel confident going into the bowl game and into 2024 that a leap is probable? He says is the issue of having no recruiting department since COVID ish rearing its ugly head. Hmm. Um. I don't know. I mean, what do they need to see? You got to have some more consistent offensive performances, but it's hard because it feels like the entire season now has a an asterisk or it comes with a caveat of, hey, there's a quarterback who's never really played before, so you would kind of expect some growing pains. And the other thing is you could have a totally different backfield next season if and I don't know what Braylon's going to do but what if he leaves we don't know whether Chez is going to want to come back so what you see this season may not necessarily be indicative of who's even on the field next year and I think that's part of why it's difficult to make projections but the easy answer is just more consistency and, and productivity across the board how about uh some of the wide receivers make some plays for the quarterback that would I, help you know I what we saw on Saturday, the the two Paul, the 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 two passes to Bryson Green on that first drive, I think we expected a lot more of that this year. And he 
just in general, the offense has not made a ton of plays for their quarterback. And I'm not saying that Tanner Mordecai was fantastic, but he's put some passes where they need to be and guys unable to come up with them. Make some plays for your quarterback. Lift the entire offense with your skill that we saw at times in fall camp. And again, I know it was against other Wisconsin players, but I've seen them make plays in, in practice, in tight coverage. Make those plays on a consistent basis. Help your quarterback a little bit. The whether whether you think the offense, whether you think the wide receivers are talented or not, I mean that's irrelevant to me. I've seen them make some plays, so I think that they have the ability in them to do it. But they have not made nearly. They have been underwhelming. I think it's, it's safe to say they have not made the plays that I thought that they would make throughout this year. And they still have a chance to make those. Again, it's going to be backup quarterback, but make some plays for your quarterback. You have to do that. You have to, you need some explosive plays in the passing game. There's just it's just going to be impossible to consistently move the ball. You're at what? You, how many times did they ask their offense to move the ball? You know, ninety some yards to get a score the other night, the other day. I mean, they three straight drives started inside the five. Now, Tory Taylor is is that dude, and a th- and a fourth was about to until they got a stupid penalty. But they had they're asking if you're you're not going to consistently score points if you're asking if you're having to move the ball ninety yards. You know five, six yards, seven yards at a time. It's just not going to happen. Every wide receivers make some plays. They have it in them. Make some plays. Um, Is that fair? That is fair. The the, the other thing I just, I'd like to point out, and this is probably obvious here, but like everything changes next year in terms of the type of (laughs) competition that you have. They've got to play Oregon, Penn state, USC, and Alabama. And that doesn't even include, some of these traditional rivalries like Iowa, like Minnesota, which has beaten the Badgers three times the last five years or whatever. So you can be a better team and and still struggle to get where Wisconsin wants to go. But that's part of the challenge and why they hired Fickle to figure this out. Uh, Chris says, give me hope because I have none. Why, <laughs> why should I give an ounce of my attention or more importantly, money to this program? These are my favorite questions. Mm-hmm. Uh you only give your attention and money if it's something you're passionate about and enjoy. That's a typical, probably eye rolling type of an answer. But whenever I hear this question, that's my response. You don't have to do anything you don't want to, man. If it bothers you that much and you hate it, then do something else with your Saturdays. This is what it's like being a fan. This is what it's like being around sports. Most teams every year are going to fail to meet expectations. And I'm not trying to make excuses for Wisconsin because they absolutely should be better. But if the question is, help me justify why I should care. Like I can't man, either you care or you don't. (laughs) It's tough though. Like in that moment. And again, most of these questions are coming minutes after what, what was a horrible, horrible effort and performance by your, the team that you care so much about. Right. If you're asking these questions, if you're listening to this podcast, you obviously care about Wisconsin football a lot. I don't think there's a lot of casuals listening to this. So um, but it is it is tough because the the things that happen in that game are just so frustrating. It's things that you weren't expecting to happen again because because you change you you made these changes that you were expecting to have a better or a bigger impact than they're having. And so it has to be frustrating. I I totally get that. So um art says he still believes in luke fickle but he has no idea why fickle wants to turn this program into an air raid system he's like throwing 30 years of identity down the drain and zach and zach asked zach says how can an air raid offense be this boring (laughs) and ben says and and ben says why did brian ferentz offense look better than longos oh 
<laughs> Did well, Brian had- Ferentz's offense look better than long as they had an 82-yard touchdown? That was nice. Their quarterback <laughs> threw for 37 yards, but that's that's a different conversation. Um, He's 2-0, and my guy. He is 2-0. and Deacon Hill is 2-0, despite <laughs> what everything else says. Um, that's a lot did, of these did, questions. Didn't, yeah, didn't, didn't Fickle say the only thing that mattered at the end of the day was, was W's? Of course. Absolutely. All right, well, that's all Deacon Hill they, does. They don't all have Deacon Hill does is win. You got me there, Zach. You got me. Um, well, I mean, the whole idea with this particular air raid was that it was supposed to be a shift, but not completely abandon the identity and that there was going to be a lot of versatility and a lot of um, thought into the run. I just, I, I don't know. It's, it's the evaluation here of year one is, at this point, and I know there's six games left, is a massive disappointment, to say the least. That's probably an understatement. Um, I don't know how much of this has to do with, is it trying to fit a square peg into a round hole where it's like, okay, we're going to do this system, but maybe they're finding out that they don't have the players for that system. I I don't know. I mean, I, I do think this can work at Wisconsin um, as long as you – maintain a lot of the things that that worked before and maybe that's an oxymoron maybe that's just not possible because when we say maintain what worked before you think of winning in the trenches and with offensive linemen that are just kind of brute force people and what you need in this offense are more versatility athleticism agility you're spreading your offensive linemen out uh it's it's really hard to have that answer right now i do think it was interesting that you know luke was asked to follow up on saturday about when you say that you're still trying to find the personnel is it injury related? And in the position that he mentioned was tight ends specifically. Um, and I, I was thinking about that because yeah, there have been some changes at tight end, but would that have made that big of a difference if they had everybody that they wanted? Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't think that it would. Um, so that's just something that I was thinking about, but these are really big questions and I appreciate all the the listeners asking these and I wish I had more concrete answers for you i i do think though that what we saw against iowa it brings up all of this and calls everything that they're doing at this point into question and makes you realize that the i mean look either you can have patience or you can say that it's it's not going to work but fickle's going to be here for a while it would seem and so he's got to figure it out it's interesting you mentioned the tight ends thing we saw four tight ends on the field for the first time yeah how did that go well, it doesn't matter how many tight ends you have if no one decides to block the preseason All-American cornerback off the edge. Which, yeah. Which you can probably blame on one of the tight ends that was in there if you wanted to. Um, I'm not going to do that, but he, he certainly could. Um, Tanner Bordellino was asked about that, by the way. And what he said was, and I don't fully understand this, that they had a decision to make in terms of who they were blocking. There was a linebacker in a corner, but and so they went for the linebacker. On the other hand, I just, I don't understand how you can run away. I mean, who... You had to see that Cooper DeGene is standing right there uh, and you had your two tight ends run away. And and obviously they were trying to pull around and that's where things were headed, but you can't even get there if the cornerbacks in the backfield, as soon as Braylon gets the ball. Pretty sure Tucker Ashcraft should have been blocking him um, or at least slowing him up a little bit and not just letting him make a free run. Cause it's probably a first down if he doesn't, but irrelevant, I guess uh, a couple more here. Uh, Brian says today was reminiscent of last year's Illinois game that led to Chris firing. I would disagree with that, but at what point should 
we'd be truly concerned that Fickle's style and schemes are a poor fit or won't work at UW, a la Gary Anderson, because this team is bad and shown almost no discernible improvement. Before you answer that at all, I'm going to sit here and say that Gary Anderson, uh, while things were trending in the wrong direction uh, at the end of 2014, the 13 and 14 offenses are two of the top five scoring offenses in school history. So, and he went 19 and seven as a coach. We have not seen anywhere close to that level of play from Luke Fickle's uh, group yet to this point. So um, you can bash Gary Anderson all you want, and it was certainly trending in the wrong direction, but that uh, those offenses were significantly, I think, better than this one. And it has a lot to do with the talent that was on those, those teams, specifically in the backfield with James White and Melvin Gordon. But <laughs> yeah. Um, I've actually been thinking about this question here the last few days because and it, it's an interesting time to have this juxtaposition because Wisconsin is about to play Illinois. And obviously we know what happened a year ago where Illinois came in here and won 34-10 and that was the end of Paul Chris. The difference and the biggest difference to me is that performance against Illinois, well, first of all, there was that whole line in the sand at halftime speech and then it certainly looked to me like Wisconsin essentially quit in the second half. And I don't know that I've I don't know that I've ever could ever say that about a Wisconsin team in the 13 seasons I've been covering the Badgers. Um, that was the end. Uh, that was like the system that Chris had been running. It was almost as if that was as far as it had, as it could go. It had, they'd been doing it for a long time and that was it. That was all that it felt like was left. And for, for me this year, this is really only the starting point and this is how I view it. So while you can make these comparisons, um, and I understand them in a game where Wisconsin just played and didn't score a touchdown for the first time in three years. I think the last time that happened was the 2020, the weird 2020 season in a loss against Indiana. To me, there there's such a higher opportunity uh, in terms of what the ceiling can be. So I don't know if that response makes sense, Zach, but that's kind of how I've looked at it is that was kind of the end of the road. And and this is a starting point. It is a starting point. And, st- and again, I, I think we talked about it before the start of the year, the expectations outside the program be- were very, very high. And yet they were a team that started, you know, I think it was, what was it? 19th in the college in the, uh, in the AP poll. I, I think the, I think the hype, which uh, certainly we played a role in was probably more than uh, what was deserved. But again, that's the idea of what Luke Fickle is bringing. Like hype is part of it. And he didn't necessarily, again, he's not the one that started that. Uh, certainly staff members were a huge part of it. And the way that Wisconsin sold it was a part of it. But your, things were bad last October. Very, very bad last October. That's why Paul Chris got fired. And uh, I think we underestimated the challenge as we talked about at the beginning of the show. It just... There is a lot of work to to still be done to get this going where it needs to go, and uh, I'm not sure if that's going to happen this year or not. Uh, so the Mordecai injury certainly throws a wrench into it, but we'll see how it plays out. We'll be back Wednesday. We'll chat more about what uh, Luke Fickle's answers to the questions that uh, I asked Jesse earlier, is, and I'm sure there's going to be some other stuff as well as we get to talk to Braden Locke on, on Tuesday night. So we'll see how it plays out. Jesse, thank you very much. Thanks, Zach. All right, there he is. Jesse Temple from The Athletic. You've been listening to The Camp.